Warning, this podcast contains mature themes from very immature people. I just realized what we really should be talking about for our cold open, which is this Taika Waititi, Tessa Thompson, Rita Ora threesome. Oh my God, we have to talk about that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) This was such a week for photos of celebrities who clearly just boned each other. Yeah. And were loving their lives. I don't know. Between these pictures of Taika Waititi, Tessa Thompson, and Rita Ora just like all over each other on that balcony drinking mimosas and making out any which way between the three of them. Mm -hmm. And then... Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez in Miami just oh. rolling out of that hotel room with sex hair wearing gifts they got each other 20 years ago. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. Oh, apparently, apparently Affleck was wearing a watch that she gave him back when they were Benefer. Oh, uh. Benefer 1.0. <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. I'm very happy for these celebrities who are getting fucked right now in ways that I wish I were getting fucked. I know there is a measure of jealousy in my exuberance, (laughs) particularly (laughs) seeing someone kissing Tessa Thompson. I am just uh, so angry about it. Yeah. But this one picture of Rita Ora and Tessa Thompson with the caption gal pals. Just made my entire week. Always the gal pals in their very evident, obvious lesbian relationships. Gal pals. Even in a little polycule, they have to be gal pals. Oh, it's so funny. (laughs) (sighs) Tessa Thompson is gorgeous. I also have a lot of yes, daddy feelings for Taika Waititi and to see Mm. him kissing Tessa Thompson, which on the one hand, I'm like, yes, give me more, inject it straight into my veins. And then you know, in another way, I'm like, is he her boss right now? I, know, I wondered that too. I wondered that too. I'm like, how how are the Thor contracts working out right now? I'm like, are they still shooting Love and Thunder? And if so, I'm not sure that I feel good about the potential power imbalance in this situation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I also wonder about the power imbalance. That was a little bit of my first thought. That said, seeing the three of them drinking mimosas, smoking cigarettes, and making out on that balcony was the best thing that happened to me all week. I agree. (laughs) And I got a promotion. (laughs) (laughs) Look into his eyes. They're the eyes of a man obsessed by sex. Welcome to Let's Get It On Film, the all things sex in film and TV podcast. We're your hosts, Kate and Lauren. Hi, Kate. Hi, Lauren. I've <sighs> missed you. We had a brief break while, while we, uh, you know, dealt with personal crises and um, mm-hmm. uh, lack of ambition. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh we are moving on to bigger and better things. Uh, a lot's happening for both of us professionally, which is great. And I'm super proud and happy for us, but also like kind of worried about uh, just where the time's going to go. Time is such a precious resource. Maybe I'm getting too dark. <laughs> <laughs> time mm. is a precious resource. Mm. That's why we included it in the stop scale. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, oh my God, Emmy Rossum had a baby. What? 
sorry, I just got an e-news alert. And since we were also hubba hubba hubbing over Emmy Rossum the other day, not the other day, several weeks ago. Yeah. But she and Sam Esmail had a baby. Oh, good for her. I know. That's lovely. I was just uh, remarking on how I, I found out that Emma Stone had had a baby. And I was like, oh, that's wonderful. There, that genetic material must be passed on for the good of humanity. Is that creepy? No, I think they've they've got to be having a real charismatic kid because right? what he's an SNL writer and she's just great. Right. I, I, it's not. I always find it weird when people are like, "Ex celebrity daughter looks just like mom." Like that's so creepy. I don't want to be that that guy. <laughs> I want to be like, "Oh, I'm glad this person I admire." has passed on their genes and their values, presumably. Interesting. That's weirder to me. Do you feel like there's an element of like inappropriate perviness when people say that celebrities' daughters look like their mothers? Yes, absolutely. Okay. It doesn't always necessarily strike me that way because I feel like there are some fucking dead ringers. I think like Reese Witherspoon's daughter is a dead ringer for her mother. And I saw her in person once and I from a distance, couldn't tell who was who. Oh. And that's not coming from a pervy place. They just look no. so much alike. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's sort of the glee that some reporters take about that of like... <laughs> like, yay, the Olsen twins are turning 18 vibes. Yes, things like that. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, there's a newer model. You know, like, that's weird. Uh, I just really dated myself with that, Yeah, didn't you I? did. You could have chosen Emma Watson. I mean, even she's over 30. <laughs> Fuck, that can't be true. Time. 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 <laughs> so anyway, thinking about time and our inevitable demise is actually a pretty good lead into our subject today. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's it's not. <laughs> Are you sure? We're going to get really religious and philosophical about it, huh? <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that discussion. <laughs> We're going to have to rain check if you want to go about it from this angle. Okay, okay. So how, how would you segue into this topic? I would um, ask you to confirm that we're both atheist-ish, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm like atheist bordering on agnostic. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm like atheist. If somebody tries to tell me they're pro-life or something, then I'm a fucking militant atheist. But mm -hmm. the rest of the time, I kind of wonder about mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, in the afterlife. Yeah. There, oh, no, it's happening it's anyway. Happening. Lauren, I told it's you, happening I told anyway. You. I oh, told no. You. <laughs> no. No, this is your fault. You corrupted me. You corrupted me and you had undue influence. Uh, this is a mistrial. We need a mistrial, Your Honor. I knew it. I knew we would get into this. I mean, come on. We're, we're talking about religion. Not really. I mean, okay, 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 okay. So we're not talking about religion, but we're talking about maybe taboos we're talking about mm -hmm. you know things that are ooh forbidden and ooh. uh ooh forbidden and 
let's save taboo for when we do incest. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't have been that excited. <laughs> I'd like it noted for the record that Lauren's very excited about incest. I just, have, I just have a really good movie, you guys. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> there's definitely a taboo nature to the intersection of sexuality and religion. And that's what we're talking about today. We certainly are. That's a very good way to put it. We are talking about fucking the clergy. Fucking the clergy. I have a really solid example of just how erotic and (laughs) sexy this topic can be. You know, I love the way you say erotic. 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 Uh, I'm just, I'm, I want to tell you all about it. Please do. I think you've picked, I think you've picked the most popular example of fucking the clergy from the last several years. And I can't wait to hear you talk about it. Oh yeah. Okay. So what I have brought for you, Kate, is Fleabag. Yes. Yay. Yes. So from one uh, trashy bitch to another, we love to see it. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) There's a lot in this show that I relate to too much. (laughs) But, you know, we may get into that. We may not. It's fine. So let's start off talking about how jealous I am of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She is, of course, the writer and star of Crashing, Fleabag, and the executive producer of Killing Eve. Uh, among many other achievements, she was also in like Solo and oh, she's a uh, writing writing the new Bond movie. The new Bond, yes, she's co-writing the new or Bond. Writing or punching up or script doctoring? I think she's co-writing, so like more than script okay. doctoring, but less than sole writer. So she's so so talented, and it makes me very upset. <laughs> Yes. Because I want to be talented and it feels like she's sucking up all the talent for the rest of us. It's possible that if talent were a pizza, that more for her would mean less for us. But luckily it's not. And you're also freakishly talented. (sighs) (laughs) I mean, my jealousy aside, I am grateful for the work that she produces because I loved Fleabag. Uh, It was based on her one woman show. Uh, that she wrote and produced at the 2013 Edinburgh Festival Fringe. Mm. Uh, That then expanded into a first season in 2016, and then was followed up with a second season in 2019. In the style of British TV, of course, they had to do it several years apart, and they only made like six episodes a season. (laughs) (laughs) Fleabag has this beautiful mix of comedy and drama that's just very dark. It's a strange mix. They have like gross out humor. They have like beautiful monologues about the nature of feminism. And they have like so much raunchy sex in it. Uh, It's got something for everyone. Hmm. Fleabag possesses my favorite opening joke of any show I've ever seen. And it should be noted that I have not seen all of Fleabag, but there's a really, really funny joke that they open on that makes for such a strong pilot. I can't remember word for word. Do I just have a massive arsehole? (laughs) So funny. So 
Fleabag has this really creative take on sort of the the office, like talking to camera sort of thing. The main character will give little asides directly to the camera, uh, which gives glimpses of what she's really thinking while she's navigating the world. They're like halfway between a, a Saved by the Bell fourth wall break and a Shakespearean soliloquy. <laughs> yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. So the reason we keep saying Fleabag uh, instead of a name is because the main character doesn't have a name. In fact, many of the characters are unnamed throughout the series. Um, it is an interesting way of kind of presenting these really complex people while still leaving mystery about them. Uh, so Fleabag, the kind of affectionate nickname given to this main character, without giving too much of the show away, because I, want, I do want people to watch it, uh, the character grapples with this complicated family dynamic. Uh, she grapples with her libido and her use of men for sex. She deals with feminism, her lack of faith. Uh, there's also this deep, deep grief that she feels uh, and this self-loathing that she feels. And all of these are kind of undercurrents and themes throughout the show that she's dealing with. She isn't good or bad. You know, she, she's a very flawed person. Uh, and really, that applies to everyone on the show. Maybe... I would say there are no good and bad people, with the exception of the godmother, who is played by the impeccable Olivia Coleman, who is just such a cunt. <laughs> and I love her so much. Mm -hmm. But her aside, everyone is just a person dealing with choices. Everyone is flawed, but Fleabag is arguably the most obvious train wreck among them. Mm -hmm. From what I've seen. She gets into some really train wrecky situations while other people are just kind of like gray area. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially in season one, she's definitely destructive. But I think it becomes clear the more you see of the other people that even if they aren't destructing and they aren't acting out in such big ways as Fleabag, they are struggling in much quieter ways. And so that's it's really mm -hmm. interesting to see. Yeah, it's it felt like good commentary on um, socially acceptable struggling versus not socially acceptable struggling. Yeah, absolutely. One example of one of these flawed, complex characters that gets introduced uh, in season two of Fleabag, Andrew Scott, who you may know as Professor Moriarty in Sherlock. <sighs> yeah, I'll give you a moment. <laughs> Thank you. I love Moriarty so much. He's very special. He's a very, very special actor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he plays this really unconventional priest uh, who's nicknamed Hot Priest by the show. He curses, he blasphemes, he drinks, he uh, hints at sort of this wild past that he had before he became a man of the cloth. And uh, he's he's introduced because he's going to perform the second wedding of Fleabag's father. Fleabag, of course, is so attracted to him and can't cannot resist falling for just someone who is so, so wrong. 
<laughs> Interestingly, I found out, uh, at least according to one dating site, uh, flea bagging is a term for repeatedly dating people who are wrong for you. Oh, wow. I thought that was going to go a very different direction. No. And I wondered if flea bagging was anything like tea bagging also. <laughs> no, I know that's where your mind goes, but no. It has to do with a string of ill, Ill, ill-fated relationships. Well, I just wondered if there was suddenly like a mainstream term for fucking a priest. <laughs> That's all. No, not not quite. More abstract. But you, you're God. on the right track. So Fleabag and the hot priest meet because of this circumstance with her family. and. She seeks him out and they just kind of keep meeting. They fill a need in each other. As he says readily, he's very lonely. (laughs) And she is attracted to him, interested in him, you know, likes kind of the challenge of getting to know him. (laughs) And yeah, as Andrew Scott said, they satisfy a need in each other. Uh, She's looking for a certain degree of peace, and he is looking for a certain degree of soul connection, somebody who sees him. Uh, So that's kind of the the dynamic that works out. And interestingly, they have this major crisis in the episode I'm going to talk about, episode four. After a day of spending time together, the talk turns to these kind of darker parts of Fleabag's life, some of the deaths that have been in her in her life, in her close relationships that have clearly affected her. And she becomes uncomfortable. And when he says, I'm just trying to get to know you, she says, well, I don't want that. And they part ways very awkwardly. Hmm. And in the rest of this episode, well, for much of the rest of this episode, Fleabag clearly is dissociating and kind of lapsing into these memories of a very painful time. Uh, I don't want to give too much away because there is so much in this show that is beautiful uh, and uh, just so, so hard sometimes. It's after they've had this awkward moment and Fleabag has been dealing with these memories coming back to her. Uh, We find her in the dark of an empty church his empty church, the priest's empty church, of course, (laughs) praying at at a pew, even though up until this point, she's been saying how she doesn't believe in God. And, you know, she thinks he's kind of wacky for his belief. She's there because she's had a tough day and she's going to give praying a try. And then she's interrupted by the amazing, I'm still, I'm still Jenny from the block. And she finds in the, what would that be? The rectory, I guess, wherever the priest has a little office. Uh, She finds the hot priest clearly has been drinking like all day. (laughs) And he's disheveled. (laughs) And And he's he's, listening to J-Lo. He's listening to J-Lo. I mean, things are, he's having a time. He's clearly having a time. I love that hot priest spends his days like me. <laughs> I know, right? He's drinking G and T's from a can. Uh, what, 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 what are they called? 
G and T's in a tin. <laughs> those those are the signature drink of the hot priest. Uh, it's like a like a white claw, except exactly. G&T. <laughs> yeah, little pre pre made cocktail. That's classy. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's he's got some issues with alcohol, but they don't they don't get too far into that in the show. Um, but so he's they they have this encounter. It's kind of interesting because he's clearly in more of a vulnerable little bit unpredictable state and she doesn't really know what to do with it and she confesses that she was about to pray and he asks why and of course she doesn't want to answer so he says i know what to do with you <gasps> Ooh. tell me this so that i'm prepared is andrew scott irish in this show <laughs> uh I think so. I'm trying to play. Yes. Yes. I'm trying to place his accent because it's not the. Yes. Maybe I don't know what he sounds like. No, he sounds like himself. Yes. He sounds Irish. Okay. <laughs> I, I debated too long. I understand that. Yeah. My body just needs to be ready for this moment. That's all. Well, it's interesting. So he says, I know what to do with you. And then they cut to uh, they're in front of a confessional booth. (laughs) And he's like, go, go in there. Let me listen to your problems. And uh, she gets convinced by him that they're going to sit in the confessional and she's going to talk. So the majority of the scene is Phoebe Waller-Bridge giving an amazing monologue. Just incredible performance. When I was searching for this scene, I saw a few uh, young actresses using this monologue on Vimeo to try and like, you know, get get their screen audition, whatever. I could tell that it was very popular for that reason. And uh, yeah, so most of the scene is, is focused on her until the end. So I'm excited to show it to you. I am full of anticipation now. <laughs> of course. Have they had sex yet at this point? No. He's been adamant okay. that they're not going to have sex. Okay. My goodness. <sighs> so, Phoebe Waller-Bridge gives this incredible performance. She's enclosed in this small space in this confessional booth. Is that what it is? God, I don't know anything about religion. It's just called a confessional confessional so uh she's in this small space in this low light the camera is staying only on her face and it stays with her in this one shot during this monologue unflinchingly long this is a show that has really intense editing and really knows how to use quick cuts and this really shows that the editor clearly knows how to use a long shot too, but I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm talking about the editing when I know I should just give a a description of the scene anyway. um, So she grapples with her sins, her fears, and this desire that she's really ashamed of where she says, I want someone to tell me how to live father, because so far I think I've been getting it wrong. She tearfully begs for him to tell her what to do. And he replies, Neil. (laughs) She goes, what? He goes, just Neil. She does so. She she gets on her knees on the floor of the confessional. And she tilts her head back. 
she's just kind of waiting, wondering what's going to happen. And then suddenly the priest (laughs) opens the curtain. Dramatically. Accompanied by this dramatic spike in the choir uh, that that, that starts up uh, like starts up out of nowhere. And an interesting detail that I noticed, he's conspicuously missing his collar, whatever that little white thing is that marks him as a priest. Oh, I didn't even notice. Yeah, he went in with it on and he came out. He appeared without it. Oh, that's such a nice detail. Yeah. It really shows that like he's making a decision as a man rather than a man of God. Yeah, it's like taking off your wedding ring. Uh, oh, right, because they're married to God, aren't they? Isn't that the whole thing? Or is it, fellas, That's what they say. <laughs> fellas, it's a gay to be married to God. <laughs> In Andrew Scott's case, the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so she's kneeling and he kneels down too. He's obviously. Uh, like elevated above her still. So he's leaning sort of more on her level and he gently touches her chin and like caresses her cheeks. <sighs> it's very, it's very, it's very much. Uh, and then leans down to kiss her so softly and almost like chastely. It's all, it's like just off center enough that it's like barely even a kiss. It's great. Yeah. I described it in my notes. It's like, it's like a benediction. It's, it's like some sort he's giving like a blessing to her. And after this very charged pause where they're, they're looking at each other, Fleabag sits up kind of surging into the kiss and is, is taking over and, and bringing her passion. And they kind of stand fumbling with each other but not breaking the kiss. Like things are heating up very, very quickly. And, uh, and then, and she, she leans him up against the confessional and there's one cut here that this one (laughs) shot stands out where she starts fumbling with his clothes and she remarks, this is a skirt and trousers. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) He's just like, sorry, sorry. Uh, and, and kissing her. And there's the very conspicuous again, very conspicuous sound of a belt being undone. So, you know, they, they gonna fuck. And then they flip positions. They're kissing until they're interrupted by a painting falling off the wall. And both of them take a step back and kind of, they both kind of take this as a sign from God. Mm, God says, uh, uh, not in my house. Exactly. Even though Fleabag like kind of doesn't believe, they still are both like, oh, that was weird. We probably should rethink this. <laughs> and so a uh, hot priest just shakes his head and walks away. And that is the end of the scene. So, uh, Kate, tell me your thoughts. Well, my first thought was when he says Neil is that my whole brain just went, oh, I've heard that one before. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, is this about to get... So, okay, so lacking context, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, she's really vulnerable and he's going to go over there and she's going to suck his dick is what my brain thought. And I'm glad that's not what happened. But that's what they make it sound like. Yeah. And then you get this dramatic flourish when he opens the curtain and it's so dramatic that it's comical. Mm-hmm. And you're like, 
oh no, she's imagining this. This isn't really happening. And then it keeps going. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like the choir escalates and the curtain flies. And it's almost like, it's almost like he's in a wind machine in a fucking Beyonce music video for a second or something. It's so that's, that's the level of drama that's achieved in that moment. And so it made me laugh. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's, it's very, very good acting. Phoebe Waller Bridges, incredible. And that very tender kiss escalating to like making out with the intent to have mm-hmm. sex is it's, it's nice. It's a nice, satisfying escalation. Yeah, it all feels really natural, the way that the energy is building between them. It's, it's interesting you immediately bring up like this power imbalance, uh, because I did see that as kind of a criticism of this scene, that she is making herself very vulnerable and that whether he means to take advantage of that or not, you know, he is still, he did like put her in this situation to be vulnerable and then chose to act, act on his feelings. Uh, but there are certain things that like really do mark that this is, um, this is not him coming as, as a priest. He, I think the removal of the collar and also the way that he kisses her very chastely at first. And then it, it she clearly becomes the one leading at a certain point. I think it, it does kind of, you know, signify the way that uh, they are more equals than than unequals. That's a good point. And I wonder if there's some intentional criticism of the clergy there. If they sort of misdirect you and make you think that just like a priest, he might be about to kind of take advantage of somebody's vulnerability in his presence. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a direct attack of the Catholic Church, and I hope they hear me. <laughs> but they, they, they kind of, it's almost like they intentionally misdirect and make you think that, um, and then flip the script a little bit, which I like. Yeah, it's, there's a line oh, before this. You know what? what? Sorry, um, he, he is wearing his collar. He is wearing his collar? Where? I can't, maybe his collar is like open. But he's still got it on. It's still on? Fuck it. Edit this part out. I like the idea that there's no collar. Oh, you're right. When they kiss against the the booth, it is back. But when they when he dramatically opens it, it's off. Okay. Oh, it's it's his shirt is open. Okay. And so the collar's just hanging out of one side. Is that what off it is? To the side. That's what it is. So when he's standing in profile, you can see it. But when he's yeah, straight on, okay. it's more hidden. Okay. Yeah. So he he undoes his collar, though. You're, it, the point stands. He undoes his collar as though sort of loosening up and removing himself from his duties as a priest, for sure. Okay. I appreciate, I appreciate your attention to detail, Kate. No, you don't. You wish I never said it. <laughs> I, I think uh, we have a duty as journalists to prevent, pre- present only the facts. I think getting back to like the idea of taboo, it it really was interesting how much people latched on to this scene. I people were in incensed in a good way, I guess, by this scene. It was it was lighting up people's imagination in a way that it I guess really hadn't been uh like people weren't aware that they had a religion kink <laughs> until this show. 
oh, that can't be people who are raised religious. Can't be. Well, I you think people who are raised religious can't be into religion kink? Anyone who's met a real priest can't be into religion kink. But isn't there so there's something about like taking ownership of like this aspect of your life that's what a lot of kink is is like especially with like trauma so maybe like eh? i get where you're coming from theoretically but i've you never met a can't. handsome priest <laughs> yeah you just can't that's fair <laughs> i mean i went to catholic school so in my in my memory, they're all like 112 years old and they're probably like in their <laughs> mid 40s, but they are old and they're gross and they're mean and they smell funny <laughs> and church makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> Lauren, the first time I went to confession, this is not a joke. The first time I went to confession, I vomited because I was so nervous. Oh, no. I ran oh, down no. the stairs of the church puking already puking on my way down the stairs because i was so scared to go to confession and i was like seven what could i have done by age seven to be so scared i was terrified i thought i was going to hell already thought i was going to hell already and i vomited on my way down the church stairs oh god uh yeah that's terrible that's terrible yeah Mm mm-hmm that's why I'm not into priests. <laughs> but, you know, you and Andrew Scott have something in common. We, we both fuck men. Well, that too. <laughs> and you also have a deep shame and resentment toward the Catholic Church, I guess. There you go. You know, I, I think you would have to kind of be okay with the blasphemy of playing a priest who fucks. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Somebody who's really willing to play with that taboo of conflating kneeling in prayer and kneeling to suck dick is uh, my kind of person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah. I mean, he talked in a few interviews about how, you know, obviously growing up gay in Dublin, he had some issues with the Catholic Church and he really carried over some of those questions and those feelings into this character. Uh, interestingly, conglomerate, the mega conglomerate Pornhub <laughs> reported <laughs> that searches for religious increased by 162% immediately after the Hot Priest's debut in the season two premiere. That's interesting. I, uh, I earlier just tried to think of maybe like a like an honorable mention or something googled nun sex scene and all i got were porn links yep i also <laughs> encountered something like that when i was looking up things yeah uh clearly it's a kink clearly it's out there there's there's some reason why it's taboo and and people want to play with that and you know that's that's funny i just think it's it's very cool to see uh very clear data that is fun. That's, yeah. That's proof of the impact that Fleabag is having on the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, Fleabag had a lot of impact. Uh, Did you uh, catch that thing where, you know, how um, 
Obama does his yearly list of stuff that he watches and listens to and reads. And he put Fleabag season two on his list the year it came out. And everyone was like, do you know what that means? That means he watched season one. Uh And that means he watched Uh the scene where she masturbates to him Uh giving a speech. (laughs) That was that was my favorite Fleabag cultural moment. That's incredible. And I was like, I love that that he's cheeky enough to put that out into the world and say, yeah, I watched it. And I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I want everyone else to watch it, too. It's almost like he's encouraging people to masturbate to his speeches. And I <laughs> live my life with a little bit of a crush on President Obama. Oh, my God. God, it's a shame we haven't had a president who hasn't done a war crime. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> funny. I didn't, I didn't know that. I did not know he did that. That's very funny. Tell me this. Is there a scene where they fuck more explicitly in this show? So there is a scene in a later episode where he comes to her and it seems like they're going to fuck. But in the way that Fleabag plays with the metatextual layers and the addresses to camera, she kind of like waves the camera off and like pushes it away so that you they have their they have this moment of privacy. Oh. Yeah, it's it's very beautiful. So like you know what's going to happen but aside from you know in in a departure from some of the more explicit sex scenes in the show, it's much more intimate that way. Yeah, I was thinking that it differentiates it from the other relationships she's been in, which is funny because on the surface this one sounds the most train wrecky, but in practice, that sort of context clue says maybe it's the healthiest. <laughs> yeah, they are on paper so wrong for each other, but they have a real understanding of each other. And they really, uh, I think more than anything, they listen, which is kind of making me feel embarrassed like to say, but like that the, the most attractive thing is that he listens to her. <laughs> When no one else seems to in her life. And it's just, yeah, that makes that makes me a little sad, actually, to think about. That's hard uh, to find. Yeah, that's 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 just life. Finding somebody that you can be uh, real and vulnerable in front of is hard. Yeah. Uh, We're both sad and single right now. Yeah. <laughs> So stop. (laughs) Yeah, stop. Break it down for me. Rate it. Rate it one through five on the stop scale. Thank you. I will. Uh, So let's immediately (laughs) dive into. Wow. What? What? That was me being encouraging. What? That sounded very, very deeply sarcastic. (laughs) No, that wasn't even sarcastic. That was a classic example of me being earnest and it not being taken seriously. A classic example. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. So soundtrack. Let's get into it. Uh, So for one thing, the composer for this show... Uh, you you might they may sound a little familiar. Uh, her name is Isabel Waller Bridge. Ah, related to Phoebe Waller Bridge. Phoebe Waller Bridge's sister. 
Oh, isn't that fun? Yeah, Nepotism. she's like a. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, I mean that's a take. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, Isabel Wallerbridge has also scored the movie Emma recently. Um, she oh. scored an episode of Black Mirror, so like she's she is a composer. That is just what she does too. <laughs> in, in, in any case, um, so this choir is a running theme throughout the second season of this show, and it's kind of interesting. I, I saw this; they had recorded two groups of singers. There was a boys' choir with twelve uh, vocalists and an adult six-person choir. And they start season two with the boys' choir and then gradually move into the adults, which I think seems really interesting. Um, and then, so what they're actually singing in this scene is called, oh God, you might have to correct me, uh, <laughs> K-Y-R-I-E. I would pronounce it Kyrie if you asked me, but that would be like if it was a person's name. <laughs> Kiri, Kyrie. It's some sort of Christian prayer. God, that's awful. God, I'm an awful person. <laughs> some kind it's, of Christian shit. It's some kind of Christian shit. Um, no, it's a it's a apparently very important prayer. Oh. And it literally translates to Lord have mercy. Uh, and it's in Greek. And in addition to that phrase, there's also a bunch of other Greek uh, Greek phrases. It's Greek and not Latin. It's Greek and not Latin. I also made that assumption at first, but no, it's Greek. Weird. I know. Isabel wrote the lyrics and and included phrases for, uh, as this article coyly says, private parts of the body. <laughs> So throughout this choir of Lord have mercy, there is also cock, cunt, arse. <laughs> over and over and over. Yes. Which I find hilarious. I hope they let the boys choir do that part. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. But yeah, uh, I, I think it's really interesting. It's very, it's very dramatic, uh, you know, this it's got this feeling of being in church it's almost like a you know like gregorian chant vibes kind of kind of appropriate for church but very inappropriate for for a love scene for fucking Um, yeah yeah it's not it's not a good fuck jam no offense um but if i can find it i am putting it on the playlist that is a threat It's been too long. It's been too long without a fuck jam. It's true. Why are there so few fuck jams in our life lately? We're going to have to fill it out with some prints just so that it's not a shitty playlist. (laughs) This Uh, is a prayer to our Lord and Savior Prince. Please give us some (laughs) sexy music. (laughs) Oh, oh, that I'm going to mention Prince later. Uh, Thank you for reminding me. Hmm. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Well, I'm still on soundtrack. I'm just, I'm going to, I I feel like I want to give it a five because I think it's really good composition and really good work, but because it isn't very sexy, I am going to bump that to a four. 
dramatically effective, but not very sexy. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't set the mood so much as it, uh... Like, taboo nature, transgressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. S. <laughs> T. Time. Uh, <laughs> so, uh... Timing, this is a long scene. The entirety of her getting into this confessional and to when they break apart and they and they, you know, go their separate ways. It's a long scene. I'd say probably six to eight minutes. Uh, And there's a testament to how it uses silence and pauses and these long drawn out moments that is really effective and that I think more TV should learn from Mm. because sometimes the most impactful thing you can do is just let something sit. Yeah. There are some times where Fleabag directly addresses hot priest through the confessional and he doesn't answer. Mm -hmm. And then the tension just builds and builds as she continues to talk and ask questions. Mm -hmm. So by the time he finally answers her by telling her to kneel, we're like, (gasps) Oh, Really? (laughs) (laughs) And then once the tension is kind of broken by him entering, I keep wanting to say booth. I don't know why. (laughs) Pulling back the curtain, I should say. Then things move very quickly. So the kind of ratio of time between the monologue and the kissing, it's very heavy on monologue, a little light on kissing. I mean, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily bad. I love the performance, but for our purposes, I think I'm going to say 3 because I wish they could have gone farther. This is a very erotic scene and we know that they are about to have sex until they are interrupted. I wish they had gone farther. Yeah, that's fair. It effectively builds tension. You are like eagerly anticipating what's going to happen by the time it starts happening. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily know that you'd feel that way or that you could stomach the silly dramatic curtain flying open if you hadn't been in so deep with Fleabag's monologue. I think that that's kind of the thing that ties it together. So yeah, I don't think I'd take any points away for that, for the balance of it. You understand why you had to watch this like emotional monologue first, because otherwise, if it was just the kissing, it would be completely a a drift of context. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but I uh, maybe I'll bump it to a four again. <laughs> it's very, it's very good. I I just like this scene very much, so I'm going to be lenient on it. Who cares? No one, <laughs> no one can judge me. Um, heat. No, that's not right. Authenticity. <laughs> <laughs> one day you'll get it right. Listen, listen. <laughs> now I've never. I've literally never been in a confessional. I think I've made that perfectly clear. I don't know what it's like in there, like how comfortable it is. Um, I don't know if I would want to fuck up against it. I also have never had to like fumble with someone's like, what are they called? <laughs> Robes? <laughs> what are they? They're not like, they yeah. uh... I don't know what it's called for a priest. It's like their their garments, their their religious their garments. Vestments. Vestments. Yes, that's what it is. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think we're firmly inauthentic here. And and we neither of us will have much frame of reference. I don't know that you're old enough to have fooled around with a chick wearing a dress over jeans. 
No. But I think that might be the same vibe. <laughs> no, I have not done that. That was much more, what, 90s or 2000s? <laughs> It was very, very 90s and then had a brief comeback a few yeah. years ago. Yeah. No, I have not. I have not had that experience. But it, what so. about a skirt? What if you got somebody in a cute little tennis skirt? Would you be like, I, is this a skirt and trousers? <laughs> I guess in that case, yeah. But I, I haven't been in that thing either. Um, I guess we should say it is authentic to fumble with unfamiliar clothing, for sure. Yeah. We like mm-hmm. that. We like to see that. Um, but yeah. I don't, I, I really can't say one way or the other. I'm leaning towards a three. Yeah. The answer is no, you absolutely don't want to fuck in or near a confessional. There's nothing sexy about them. and probably unique in that they make me feel like I'm about to vomit just because mm-hmm. of my childhood trauma, mm-hmm. but, um, they're, they're not sexy. It's like a wooden wardrobe with a wooden bench and a, like a freaking kneeling. What do you call those things? Like a, like a, mm-hmm. Uh, there are things in church pews that you put down that you kneel on that have a cushion oh. so that you're not kneeling on the floor. Um, they're called like kneelers or something, right? Um, <laughs> God, it's, been, it's been a long time since I've been to church. Okay. So that's authenticity. It's, it's, you know, neither of us are going to be attempting this anytime soon. So I think we're fine uh, to move on. No, but maybe Andrew Scott in any outfit with this cute little Irish accent could probably get it. So, so let's go on to heat. <laughs> and Andrew Scott is okay. a major part of it. Yes. I saw something that he was talking about, um, when he was talking about chemistry and he was talking about the fact that like people think it's weird that a gay man and a straight woman could have like really strong chemistry on screen. Have they met gay men and straight women? <laughs> All they do is have chemistry. <laughs> it's just not usually sexual chemistry. Yeah. It's just, yeah. <laughs> That's a very good point. That's a very good point. But I mean, I, I, I can understand what, what he was saying, which was like, you know, people think it's a little strange because they're not like sexually compatible, I guess. Um, but it, it's really... Uh, a testament to his actors that they're drawing on like their own sexual energy and bringing it to the Mm -hmm. scene. And I really want to say Andrew Scott really does remind me of Prince in his sexual energy. He's got a kind of like powerful masculine, but slightly like androgynous, almost like bringing in anyone regardless of gender just this like animal attraction. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. And I hard disagree. (gasps) What? I know. I love Prince, but I don't feel any smidge of sexual attraction to Prince. Um, No. His music is very sexy, but he's just such a tiny feminine little human that I just feel like a I couldn't I couldn't I would feel like a giant unfeminine monster in comparison I think and so I'm like no that's okay he's he looks like he's I don't know how tall Prince was but he looks like he was about five feet tall Um, (laughs) but Andrew Scott 
Okay. It gives off big sexy energy, even when it's a little, even when it's a little gay. It's big sexy energy, and I'm here for it. Hmm. You really, you really, you really wouldn't with Prince? No, never. That's so weird. But you like get the attraction to him? No, I know that oh it's a God. thing. And I think his music is really sexy. Hmm. But I, I would never. He's so tiny and manicured and fashiony and yeah, no, the the energy I respond to in men is not whatever's going on with Prince. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, fine. I I I get yeah, I am attracted to androgyny. I guess that is true. So, Sorry, I'm a mm. straight. I hate myself for it. <laughs> If I could change it, I would. <laughs> I know. We've had that discussion. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, I mean, we can we can at least agree Andrew Scott could get it if he wanted it, which he doesn't. Absolutely. And I'm I'm not terribly attracted to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. She's she's pretty, but you know, she's she's got a kind of like Hollywood average. <laughs> her do you know what i mean she's is that too mean yeah it's a little mean but it's kind of like um i feel about her the way we feel about jenny slate which is like she's as pretty as you can be and still like have a personality and be talented and be funny because if she were any if she were any more physically perfect she wouldn't have had to uh deal with any trials in her life and develop a personality so yeah she's she's like a normal people eight and like Hollywood mm-hmm. five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. I I don't want to get into whether either of us has a religion kink because I think the answer is no. <laughs> but I do enjoy I do enjoy taboo. I do enjoy that kind of like, ooh, this is a little bit wrong. This is a little bit naughty. Yeah, I, I'm not into religion kink at all, but I do um, absolutely get off on things that make the Catholic Church mad. And this falls <laughs> into that category. <laughs> okay. And then production value. Um, I I love the editing. I love these long shots. Uh, and even the kissing is done in these long shots uh, that, that just hold on, on these pauses, like this pause after they first kiss. That is just so intense. And then they're ramping things up in the next cut. I think it I think it really works. I mean, there's not too much to say about, you know, the setting, the lighting. It's very dark. The setting is clearly just a church. It's mm-hmm. it's very obviously they were filming in a real church. Yes. Uh, the, the framing in the confessional is sort of uh, authentic and interesting. Um, yeah. they, they go quite quite close up on Fleabag because of it. So I appreciate that. I don't know that that's a choice so much as a necessity because they're actually filming in a church confessional. Yeah. I bet there were, I think I saw even that, that they said there were like constraints and I imagine there would be constraints about filming in an actual church. Mm-hmm. I think for one thing, Andrew Scott, I've read a lot of interviews, but <laughs> Andrew Scott, um, he specifically said like, it's kind of sacrilegious. It feels like, to be, you know, filming in a church and like eating a ham sandwich from Crafty. <laughs> but, you know, I, I bet there were constraints on just camera placement and things. So 
yeah, I mean, uh, I like the editing, but everything else, I, I'll just give it a four. It's, it's good. Yeah. I think it deserves a four if for no other reason than because it takes chances and it's kind of original, right? So you've got the yeah. juxtaposition of those really, those really long shots versus sort of the quicker cuts. You've got the mm-hmm. frankly ridiculous choir music for the circumstances, which is a nice, a nice yeah. chance to take that um that wardrobe choice with the sort of closed collar versus open collar i think Mm -hmm. that's really nice and meaningful and i wouldn't have noticed it if you hadn't pointed it out so that's great Mm -hmm. and i think that all that all speaks to production value in in subtle ways that you might might not appreciate if you weren't making yourself think about it that's true that's true i mean it's it's not like i don't i don't often think about all of these details about you know costume and and you know, hair and, and, and these sorts of things. But, uh, you know, it, it may not be the green dress from atonement, but there's <laughs> clearly consideration being put into how these characters appear. Absolutely. So does this make you want to watch the rest of Fleabag? It does. It's been on my list for a long time anyway. Yeah. I know. I know I have to watch it. And I, as soon as I found out that Andrew Scott was hot priest, I was like, okay, prioritize. But then... I like started the first season and it's like so sad. Yeah, it's <laughs> a pretty bit sad. At the beginning. It's like a little too sad that the day that I started watching it, I was like, I just can't. I'm going to come back to this. That's fair. I respect that. Definitely. Even just rewatching it for this. I was like, I'm going to fast forward through some of this because this is a little too sad for me right now. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely uh, take care of yourself. Uh, that's the most important thing. But if you can, on a, on a good day, watch Fleabag. I will. I definitely will. This has done nothing but encourage me. Perfect. I, uh, unfortunately, this is going to be a very Christ-centric episode, which is unfortunate. Too bad we didn't find any uh, rabbi fucking or monk fucking um, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely something to that, though. <laughs> Less taboo. Less, less taboo, taboo I think. rabbis marry. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You can assume in your life that rabbis fucking have children because they do. That makes sense. It's the celibacy thing. I, uh, I know someone who's the child of two rabbis. Oh, calls himself a clergy kid. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Anyway, that's not that's not what we're talking about. I uh, I brought you a movie this week. I brought for you The Little Hours, which is a 2017 American black comedy film. Mm-hmm. 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 Written and directed by Jeff Baina, who did Life After Beth. He co-wrote I Heart Huckabees with David O. Russell, and he also wrote and directed Horse Girl. Oh. Um, this movie has a really incredible cast it is stacked it's aubrey plaza allison brie kate micucci dave franco molly shannon john c Riley, nick offerman fred armison paul <laughs> riser like comedy all-stars just is stacked in this tiny little movie that like barely made a million dollars and opened in like two theaters before it went to streaming <laughs> like yeah there's no reason that such a good cast should be in this movie except 
that you will notice a lot of common cast between Banna's projects. He's part of this really incestuous group of creatives. So uh, first and foremost, he's married to Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> and oh, he works with his friends a okay. lot. Yeah, Dave Franco and Alice Brie also married. His other film, Life After Beth, stars Aubrey, stars Molly, stars John. He also did Horse mm-hmm. Girl, which stars Allison and Molly. Matthew Gray Goobler is in both of those movies. Paul Reiser yep. is in all three of these movies. <laughs> like, yep. it's it's just one of those groups. Uh, and they're great. They make, they make for a really effective ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. I definitely want to recommend uh, Life After Beth. Because uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I had a unique experience because that was one of my first jobs cutting uh, promotional material. <gasps> I forgot about that. Yeah, I know. I have a special connection to that one. So this movie is ridiculous. It's an mm-hmm. adaptation of the Decameron, which is a collection of short stories from the Middle Ages. Uh, and it uh, caused a bit of a stir when it was released. Uh, they used a quote from the Catholic League on the promotional posters when it came out. And that quote is, it is trash, pure trash. <laughs> yes, that's how we like it. <laughs> yes. So, so they know what they were doing and they were leaning into it. Awesome. It is awesome. Uh, the Little Hours takes place in a medieval convent where everything that everyone says is completely modern and mostly improvised because they didn't really have a script for this. Uh, and it's also balls to the wall rude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, the extremely abusive main nuns are played by Aubrey, Allison, and Kate, and Molly plays Mother Superior. Yeah. Aubrey's sister, Fernanda, is the most outrageous. She is just outrageously violent. She's always screaming and threatening people including the other nuns and she she lets the convent's donkey escape so she can get out and go looking for it and have adventures and she's she's a handful uh Mm -hmm. allison brie plays sister alessandra who's always sad because she's supposed to be there at the convent temporarily while her father finds her a husband but he's lost the dowry money and he's not gonna find her a match so she's stuck there getting increasingly desperate and then Kate Micucci, who plays Sister Ginevra, is not going to get that much attention here. So I just want to uh, say that my favorite thing about Kate Micucci, aside from the fact that she is one half of Garfunkel and Oates, the mm-hmm. comedy duo, mm-hmm. is that she did a one-woman show in L.A. for a while that was called Playing with Micucci. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that God. energy. That is great. I love Kate Micucci. <laughs> she is so funny. Um, so at the beginning of this movie, a perfectly nice groundskeeper, uh, barely makes eye contact with sister Fernanda and she screams at him like, Hey, I told you not to fucking look at us. You creep. Why are you making eye contact with us? Look at the ground. You fucking pervert. Like goes off on this perfectly nice guy. Uh, and then Ginevra joins in because these three nuns are fucking psycho. And she's just like, what is this shit? And she throws a turnip at his face. And these three main nuns just berate him and throw things at him and they spit on him. Uh, and then Alessandra destroys his garden and is kicking him and knocking over <laughs> like garden beds. And this goes on for like a full minute for a comically long period of time. They just abuse the hell out of this groundskeeper, handyman, gardener type character. Uh, and so he quits 
and he leaves this convent in need of help. <laughs> mm-hmm. Meanwhile, in a nearby kingdom, Dave Franco plays Macetto, who is a servant having an affair with a queen. <laughs> and Ooh. he gets caught by the king and he has to make a run for it away from this place. And it should be noted at this point that poor Dave Franco gets sexually assaulted repeatedly through this movie yeah. by many different people. And it gets played off for laughs. Yeah, that is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to talk in depth about one of those scenes, but if that's triggering, um, don't watch this movie. Don't do it. It's not going to be yeah. for you. So so they they lean into the really, really dark comedy of it. There's also a great witchy lesbian subplot in which he nearly gets ritually sacrificed in a fertility ritual situation mm-hmm. around a campfire with naked witches dancing around it. So um, it's it's fun and they lean into it, but it is um, decidedly sexually assaulty. Yeah. So that that aside, uh, while on the run, Masetto stops to help the priest from the convent who's lost a wheel on his donkey cart and accidentally dumped a cart full of silk and embroidery that the nuns made to sell at market into a stream. For his good deed, he gets invited to stay the night at the convent. Um, And like Fleabag, he goes to the confessional with the priest, and he confesses his sins, which are (laughs) numerous, and they have a really long conversation about... Mm-hmm. about um what constitutes sodomy mm-hmm. and so it's like well if she put her mouth on my sex does that get yes yes that's sodomy and what if i put my mouth on her se- yes that's sodomy and what if <laughs> i put my sex in her rear at yes that's the classic version <laughs> that's of sodomy, classic <laughs> and, sodomy. Just, and it, it just goes on and on and it's very funny and ridiculous, but that's what happens in the confessional in this movie. And so the John C. Riley's priest makes him do penance um, and then decides he is going to pretend to be a deaf mute and be the new gardener, handyman, groundskeeper guy for the convent. Um, and because he's pretending to be deaf mute, hopefully he won't get completely harangued by these abusive nuns. Yeah, that, I, that doesn't go so well for him, does it? It doesn't it doesn't go that well for him. It doesn't go as poorly as it could either, but um Hey, positives. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't go that well. <laughs> so all all of the nuns, of course, eventually take a shine to him because he's hot stuff. Uh but mm-hmm. especially Alessandra, who's desperate for a man so she can get out of this nunnery. She starts mm-hmm seeking out his help for things and helping him with things and venting all of her sad nun feelings to him while he kind of uh, pretends he can't hear or understand or talk back to her. Um, And then she gets totally cray and she takes off her habit veil and makes her move. (laughs) All right. So um, the scene I'm going to have you watch is not the first time they connect. It's the second time. Wonderful. I mean, that's it. That's funny. Yeah, so you get you get a visit by Fred Armisen in like a Moira Rose wig, which is great. It's <laughs> very funny. Okay, so this scene, it's cute and it's funny, and it's basically the only consensual sex scene in the movie, which is Oh gosh. You know, it's a it's a thing. But okay, so Masetto sneaks in through the window to the room where Alessandra is working on her embroidery. Um, and he sneaks in to see her. He's actively chasing her down so they can have this moment. 
Uh, they start to kiss. They're giddy and they're giggling and they lay down on this cot bed that's kind of in the corner of the room. She mm-hmm. hikes up her habit skirts and climbs right on top of him. Yeah. All the while they're kissing and they've got this really great chemistry. She uh, she pets his chest and opens his shirt and then he reaches up and he grabs her boobs while she grinds down on top of him. And then she reaches her hand into the opening of his pants and she starts rubbing his dick. Uh, and they cut mm-hmm. really nicely between their faces in that moment. So we get to watch both of them react to it, which mm-hmm. is sort of a nice, a nice bit of uh, realism there for such a ridiculous movie. Um, and then they start furiously making out again, just in time for an elderly nun to walk in the room and not noticing them or not caring what they're doing. It's a little unclear. She sits down and she starts to work on her embroidery just a few feet away. Yeah. And they don't notice at first. <laughs> they just keep going. Uh, and then when Masetto opens his eyes and notices, he kind of mumbles, oh, shit, and exposes himself as not being <laughs> deaf mute. <laughs> yeah. And then they sort of frantically get themselves together. And he goes to hide under this bed for a comically long period of time as a series of people come in and out of the room, including Fred Armisen, who's playing like, I don't know, a bishop or something. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, some, something like some, that. Some guy in town to cast judgment on uh, how that how that wild nunnery is being run. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what happens. What are what are your initial thoughts? What are my initial thoughts? I think my initial thought is just there is something to be gained by casting a married couple. Uh-huh. They clearly are comfortable with each other. They clearly have sexual compatibility and chemistry with each other. You know, we were talking about how good actors uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Andrew Scott are for, you know, bringing their own sexual energy to a scene, even if you're not compatible with someone. But it really it, it's also like really does work when the two people clearly are into each other. Yeah. And I find that to be, and maybe this is sort of gross and objectifying, but here we are being gross and objectifying. I find it a little, a little titillating that they're married and that you can be like, is this just like a little glimpse into what their bedroom looks like at home? Is this <laughs> actually what Alice and Brie and Dave Franco are like when they bone? Or are they not like this at all? And they had to spend so much time faking it and figuring out what it looks like for two other people to be having sex. <laughs> Probably like most things, it falls somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. You pointed out one of my favorite things about this scene, which is that very stark cut where they've been in this profile for most of this, this making out. Um, and you you see, you know, Alison Brie on top of him and and they're making out against this just white wall. And there's a stark cut when she does have her hand in his pants to more of a head on sort of look. And you get a shot, reverse shot of her looking down at him and him looking up at her. It's very nice. It's a very nice kind of, a, you know, a, a little it, it serves as like a little moment outside of the frantic making out. It gives it a pause. It lets them kind of be like, oh, we're doing this. Mm-hmm. It's it really works. I really like that. That's my favorite moment. Yeah, for sure. It it really grounds it in intimacy, sort of. While the rest of it is, well, they have like smoke and hot chemistry. 
and and they yeah. look really nice <laughs> acting it out on screen together. But that moment is, you know, a, a conscious choice of the director to really emphasize it. And I think that's nice and it's vulnerable. And I don't know if it's like kind of leaning into the taboo where like he's he's clearly not virginal, but I you can kind of assume that she's supposed to be because she's a nun mm. because she's waiting. She's waiting to get a husband thrust upon her by, <laughs> by life circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's nothing in this movie that is hesitant or chaste or unempowered about these nuns. Um, and so even in the moments where really they're just sexually assaulting him. They all, they all do have a lot of agency and a lot of confidence and a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, whatever, a lot of chutzpah about them. Um, <laughs> and there's no fear and there's no shame, no they fear, no shame. Definitely shameless. And, and really the, the movie kind of more like yeah we're all doing it is the vibe of this one rather than Mm -hmm. oh how fucked up oh no (laughs) yeah and i think it kind of uh it kind of works for the historical setting i mean what i like about this movie what I, i did enjoy it was the fact that it's sort of making that point that people are people no matter when you look at them Mm -hmm. you know no matter what point in history people are just people it's kind of that thing of like, yeah, I mean, convents and things like that, they were pretty much the only place that a large group of women would have been like hanging out together mm-hmm. in, in a lot of history and a lot of in a lot of these cultures. So like it makes a good setting and it, it just it, 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 do you know, do, do, can you pick it up from yeah. where I'm putting it down? I can pick up from where you're putting it down. And um, Baina talked about that a little bit in some interviews where, uh, you know, when he decided to basically uh, adapt the Decameron, it's because I think he said he maybe minored in medieval literature or history or something. And he's like, you know, it was written 600 years ago and it's still so funny and so relatable mm-hmm. and people have always been people. <laughs> and that's yeah. what he was going for with this rather than... Um, again, leaning into the taboo or the inappropriateness of it. It was exactly what you touched on there. It's just that people have always been people and they've always been written about as people. Yeah. Yeah. That really comes through. Further to that, the, uh, the grouping of women does make it the perfect setting for a nice witchy lesbian subplot. That is true. As much conflict as there is between these three main nuns and they're always screaming at each other and ratting each other out for doing for breaking the rules or whatever. By the end, there's this really sweet moment where Aubrey Plaza, who is, of course, the witchy lesbian ringleader, because how could she not be? Of course, obviously, um, where she has this cute little moment where she just goes. Let's be honest with you guys. I just I was I was really hoping to win you around and have you all join my coven eventually. Oh, <laughs> which that's is so just, sweet. It's really cute. It's uh, it's really really cute. I mean, the one thing I would say about like the taboo nature of it is like there is that one shot where they where he first comes in and you see her like taking off her habit. Uh, and there's the cross on the wall behind them. You know, that's the only kind of shot that's sort of alluding to how uh, 
naughty this is. Other than that, it, it like you said, I think it, it it reads more like someone sneaking in a college dorm to have sex with his girlfriend. It it does, and it's like they kind of give you that same level of discomfort that taboo maybe would, but they serve it to you with that nun who just walks in and stays there and it takes them too long to notice that she's there. And so it, mm-hmm. it's almost like, um, you know, that horrific scene in black Swan where Natalie Portman is masturbating. And then when she finally opens her eyes, her mother is sitting in the room. Yeah. It's, it's almost like that. It's almost like that kind of taboo rather than the clergy thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's like like it's obviously not on that level. That's that's like horrific, and it's not that bad. But it's but it's more like that feeling than it is like oh no, she's a nun. Don't do it because they make it clear from the beginning that she's not devout and she's not a nun. She's not. I mean, she is a nun, but she doesn't want to be a nun. She doesn't want (laughs) to be there. She hasn't. She hasn't dedicated her life to Christ. She's just being put there because her father can't afford to marry her off. So, so while it is technically the taboo of fucking a nun, she's, you know, she's only a a nun in uh, (laughs) on on paper. You know, nominally a nun. (laughs) Exactly. That was a beautiful turn of phrase. Thank you for that. A nun by any other name. That's it's it's nice. I I feel like it's it is a short scene, but like you said, it really is capturing the tone of of the movie as a whole. Yeah, there's something sweet and innocent about it that I really like. Sort of the I think it's the giggling and how happy and silly they are at the beginning. They are like so happy to be together. They're like a couple of teenagers. And then the fact that it only ever escalates to like making out and, you know, a hand in someone's pants is also kind of plays into that. Like, you know, they exactly they might as well be in a dorm room or somebody's teenage bedroom or the back of a car or whatever, you know. So I think that's that's really sweet and a little bit of a departure from the tone of the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's definitely like a little breath of fresh air among these awful, awful people. Uh, so should we stop and break it down? I would love to. Please, please do. Did that sound sarcastic again? Uh, no, it didn't. Um, okay, (laughs) stop. The soundtrack, there is not one. (laughs) Yep. Uh, there's no music. So, like we have in the past, I'm just gonna give it a three. It's quiet, which kind of allows Mm -hmm. for there it to be more obvious when the nun sneaks in, allows it to be a really subtle moment. When uh, Masetto breaks and says, oh, shit, mm-hmm. you get to hear kind of the lip smacking and the giggling and that sort of thing. Um, and I would say specifically, uh, you hear the like rustling of her rucking up her her robe or skirts mm. or, you know, whatever that nun outfit mm-hmm. is. Her habit. <laughs> her, is the whole thing the habit? I thought just the hat was the habit. No, that's uh no, there are many parts of the habit. The whole thing is the oh, habit, dear. I believe. Whoops. Well I know, right? God. Uh <laughs> but the the you know what I mean, the bunching up of the fabric. Mm-hmm. Uh that yep. that makes a very obvious noise in the silence. It does. And it's uh you know, the the attention to that is just like, oh yeah, she is really chased and really covered up and really protected by this very uh, like very conservative outfits she's covered from head to toe and so it takes effort 
to ruck up that much fabric. And so they really yes. kind of let you let you linger in that moment and hear it and and experience it. So, uh, yeah, I don't really have anything. I think it could have done with music. I think it's fine the way it is. I don't have any strong feelings about that part. Yeah, I I agree. Moving on. Um, so next is time, and the scene is just over a minute if you like squint and count the first part of Maseto mm. being trapped under the bed. It's really short, but I think it's a well-used minute. Um, you really, like I said before, get to see them having this intense chemistry, um, which is also a departure from, again, all the moments of sexual assault in this movie where Maseto yeah. is set upon by eager people trying to use his body. Yeah, This is very different from that because he's got that really obvious chemistry with Alessandra or Maybe it's Dave and Allison. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's both. But um, but that really great chemistry. Them really enjoying themselves in a way that's not evident in other scenes. For the sex scene part, it's brief and it's nice, and I think it's effective. And then they really effectively drag out that time that he's stuck under the bed hiding. Yeah, that's that's where the real sort of genius use of time goes. Where they've got this really quick scene that's intense and sexy and great and you're with them and then he gets trapped for so long (laughs) (laughs) while while she talks to mother superior and she talks to fred armison's bishopy guy and he's all like i like your embroidery and she's like oh my god you can have it and the the other nun is in the room and he is just stuck under that bed heart pounding and terrified he's going to be discovered and it's yeah it's 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 effectively funny. They do a nice job with it. So that's that's I think the strength and the timing rather than the actual sex part. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. I think the shortness of the the sex and and the the makeout and and that sort of thing it really highlights that this is like a stolen moment between these two mm-hmm. characters. You know, yeah. and it's it makes sense then why they're interrupted. They're they're hurrying because they know they could be interrupted because this is like an illicit sort of thing. And she lives in a in an environment where there is no privacy, really. You're right. The taboo does really come in there, but it's like a taboo in that they know they'd get in trouble and that it's against the rules rather than because she's clergy. Yeah. It's not betraying anyone's vows to God or anyone's belief system. It's, oh, no, we don't want to get caught because we'll get in trouble. Like, again, naughty teenagers. Yeah. And it, to, to say it, uh, this might come up later. Uh, they both look so young to me. I don't know. Maybe it's because she's not really wearing much makeup and Dave Franco has a kind of high school musical vibe about him. But uh, they they really have this young air. That's interesting. I don't I don't feel that way. Interesting. In my uh, watching of interview clips and stuff for this movie, they kept showing Dave Franco in 21 Jump Street, (laughs) where he plays one of the one of the popular high school students. And he did not look like a high school student to me then. (laughs) In that, he looks like Ben Platt trying to be in Dear Evan Hansen. (laughs) No, it's so bad. I know, I know, oh, baby. I know. Our apologies to Ben Platt, who's so talented, so but just talented. looks terrifying in the Dear Evan Hansen trailer. Oh, uh, so so many bad decisions. Uh, but yes, I, oh, the I, hair, the hair is the, the worst hair. part of it. Though. <laughs> 
Yes, yes. I'm glad we're on the same page on a lot of things. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, the, the thing to take away is I agree with you. All right. So uh, the timing I gave a 3-2. Mm-hmm. I think it was good. I think I would have liked to see them hook up a little bit longer. Um, but I think they they made really good use of the time that they have. And then really, I I'm, I would give it a four, except really the the effectiveness of the timing comes on the post sex end. So give it a three. Yeah. Authenticity. Uh, I would say the sex part is very authentic. It's yeah, they've, they've got good chemistry. They don't do anything off the wall. They make out. There's a little bit of petting <laughs> mm-hmm. sort of a mm-hmm. sort of a near hand job situation they're on a bed that all yeah. is super authentic but the circumstances aren't really they're comedically heightened because they're sneaking mm-hmm. around and the escalating nature of the fear of discovery i think this is maybe the most authentic sex we've seen in this podcast mm-hmm. so far they are on a bed they are working to undress like just as much as they need to kind of like they're they're not like stripping just so you can see her whole naked body. You know, they're just like, I want to fuck. We have to go quick. Let's just, you know, get the parts that need to be out, out. And they're like that little moment where she like puts her hand in his pants and she's like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. I I like that. And (laughs) I think that's, that's really authentic. You know, you're convincing me to bump it up. Yeah. You really are. And and I I do there there was something about the feeling of the scene um that does strike me as authentic and does seem like two people kind of young and in love or young and horny or whatever. Yeah. And because what they do is so conventional, I think to act as a counterpoint to the heightened circumstances, what they do is really normal and the situation is really not normal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I might give authenticity a four. I think you've convinced me to bump it to a four. It feels like a four to me. Like I said, I feel like I feel almost like um, like I'm just walking in on like a roommate having sex with her boyfriend or something in college. Like that's that's the mood of this thing. That's fair. And then heat. I think that authenticity plays into the heat for me because I, you know, I like to see things that are real and authentic and reflective mm-hmm. of my experience having sex and everything they do is absolutely reflective of my experience having sex the way they sort of will make it move and then do something and then kind of stop to kiss some more that's very realistic sort of the shove your hand in pants and have that moment of like where is it what's going on is that the dick is that ball is that <laughs> which is i don't know if men know that that's what's going on whenever i put my hand anywhere near their groin <laughs> But, just taking but, a mental inventory just like i mean a hand in the, I hand in the fly i've had i've had men be like oh, you got it as though i'm just supposed to like know which side of their pants they're wearing their dick on or something i'm like if it's not like all the way hard how am i supposed to just like know where their dick is hiding in their jeans you know <laughs> <laughs> It's really there's funny. A, there's a, a lot of jeans and not that much dick in my experience. <laughs> <laughs> wow! <laughs> 
this is a call out to the men Kate slept with. Um, yeah. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. <laughs> For the most part, they're all no. perfectly average. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. Hang on. <laughs> I'm just like there's a little there's a little uh there's a little shot in the dark mystery about it where you just kind of have to feel around until you find it. So that that is my favorite part of the scene, but I think the sexiest part is when she pets his chest and opens his shirt cuz you know I've become a I've become a boob man at some point in my yeah. life. I just I love a chest and I just want mm-hmm. to bury my face in a moderately hairy chest and live my life there. That's all I want. It's beautiful. That's wonderful. I know. Thank you. So, so that moment where she opens this cute little tunicky shirt and just kind of like runs her hands down his chest. I think that's really sexy. And we've already talked about how great their chemistry is and yeah. how it's a little extra titillating because... <laughs> Now I feel like I've got the inside scoop on their sex life, but um, I, yeah, I just, I just really like how heavy on kissing and petting it is. Um, Cause yeah. it's, it's really sexy and it leaves you wanting more. And it's a nice example of in a, in a sort of heterosexual coupling. Oh, I don't like that word. Um, <laughs> in a, in a heterosexual, like uh liaison, none, none of them are good. Um, between a man and a woman on screen, uh, the woman is wearing more clothes than the man mm-hmm. and, and the man is showing more skin. And that's always that's always kind of nice. That is like even someone who appreciates a, a female body. Uh, that's that's kind of nice to see just as a power trip. Yeah. Um, and they there's a moment where they almost kind of play off on that, where you do see his hand kind of go up her leg and kind of like get to the hip area where he's got the skirts rucked up all the way to her hips. And that's, that's also very authentic and relatable and something that I've experienced. And so I can see that and, and know what it feels like and think, ah, yes, that, that really sexy feeling of just kind of getting your skirt hiked up is nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. I, I agree with you. It's very hot. There's an authentic urgency about it that I like. Yeah. And then just sort of she she kind of just grinds down on him, rucks up the skirt and grinds down on him. And that. I don't know. It's hot. It does it for me. What do you what do you give it? I give it a four. I think it's pretty hot. That's good. I, I agree. I think it's pretty hot for such a quick little moment. It's very hot. Mm hmm. So that just leaves production value. And I don't I don't think there's that much to say. I think maybe that choreography and editing is the most interesting part. That little shot reverse shot when her hand goes into his pants is the most mm-hmm. interesting part. I think maybe, you know, the sound design once we're past the sex part and he's trying to silently move the bed off from over <laughs> him. It's kind of yeah. that's good. That's funny. Um but, you know, the the setting is pretty bare and what happens is pretty expected and they don't use the formal elements of film to draw much attention to anything other than the narrative. Yeah, I agree. I think the setting is very, I would use the word pristine. Very pristine, the white walls, the very minimalist, you know, cot. Mm-hmm. 
I, this is, this is going to seem strange after what I said earlier. (laughs) I really was struck by the costuming in, in this uh, movie. There's like such a realistic texture to all the pieces of clothing. Like they're working with, you said it already, they're working with like silks and embroidery, like fabric is a major part of this film. And the costuming really does kind of feel like everything is handmade because of course it is there. This is before Mm -hmm. the pre, this is pre-industrial revolution. Everything is handmade and everything is like tactile. And I remember being struck by that watching this movie. That's absolutely true. That hadn't occurred to me, but that's a, that's a very good point. I also, um, watched an interview clip where Aubrey Plaza was talking about how difficult it was to be wearing this essentially period accurate costuming that's kind of big and bulky. And she said, I act Mm -hmm. so much with my body and I spend so much time trying to move my hips to make a Mm -hmm. point. And I found myself doing that and none of it could be seen because I was just in this big, bulky, heavy habit. And so she had to kind of adjust her acting choices because of that also. Um, Hmm. So that's great. And then again, these characters in this movie are either completely dressed very modestly head to toe, or they are buck naked dancing around a fire. (laughs) And that's, (laughs) that makes for really great contrast too. Um, Because in the scene with the, with the witchy coven shit, they, there are just dozens of absolutely naked women (laughs) dancing around the fire. And so to see, to see somebody strip out of a nun's habit to be totally naked by a fire is also um, impactful. Yeah, definitely memorable. That was what Mm -hmm. stuck out for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I would give the production value like a three, I guess. That's that's fair. It's it's pretty conventional Mm -hmm. and not taking many risks, but nothing is a is a miss, you know? Yes. Yeah. It's another movie where the the narrative is unconventional. The style of comedy is unconventional. The sense of humor is unconventional. And so everything else needs to be very conventional. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad you found a good nugget of consensual sex in this very uh, otherwise film. It is. Um, and you know what? I really like this movie. And I, uh, I also really like it. It's exactly my sense of humor, but I it's not for everyone. And I think it's really yeah. important to say that and say yes. uh, there are people there are people who can find the humor in that kind of moment. And there are people where it would be absolutely harmful to accidentally stumble upon that kind of moment. And I'm lucky enough to not be a person who finds that triggering and super harmful. Um, but I, I would absolutely warn anyone who's even slightly concerned to not watch it. <laughs> yes. I absolutely second that. I, uh, I am, I, I feel lucky that I can enjoy it with some distance emotionally. So, yeah. I think that brings us to the end. I think so. Oh, I'm almost sad to see it go. I know. Back on the horse, though. I'm proud of us. Okay. Lauren. Lauren. Okay. Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, so yeah, uh, if you are enjoying this, <laughs> did you like that? Was that a good segue? That was a nice pivot. 
Thank you. It was a nice pivot away from our flirting, but you know what? <laughs> you can't bury my love the way you try and bury it in this moment. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> if you're listening to us and you enjoy whatever it is we do, uh, please uh, tell someone. Tell someone to listen to us. We're definitely trying our hardest. By God. Uh, yeah. It's uh, a little blasphemy there at the end. Yeah. Just throw a little <laughs> blasphemy at the end. Um, uh, we want to hear from you. That's the thing you usually say, but it's still true. It is true. Write to us. You can visit our website at letsgetitonfilm.com. We post um, clips that we can find from mm-hmm. this content that we talk about. Beware. Some of it is from shady, porny websites. Um, almost all of it is not safe for work, so yep. experience it at your own risk. Um, you can email us at info at let's get it on film. Tell us what you're watching, what you think we should be watching. If you have an episode idea, if you have, uh, I don't know, commentary on <laughs> what we've had to say to you, uh, let us know. We want to hear it. You can also find yeah. us on the socials. We're on Twitter and Instagram at let's get it on film is our handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check us out wherever you get your podcasts, but we're also on Spotify. There, let's get it on film. Fuck jams playlist. And uh, it might have some choir music on it this time. So that'll be interesting. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And do the things that podcasts like, like rating and reviewing and sharing and all of those things. Um, yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, yeah. What, what do we say at the end, Kate? Keep it pervy. <gasps> Keep it pervy. Look at his face. It is the face of a smart mom.